Welcome to Tech.London Talks. Tech.London is the go-to digital platform for London's technology ecosystem, providing a central place to discover resources and interact with our city's thriving tech scene. This month, we're focusing on London spaces. The way our city's inhabitants interact with their environment and the space around them has fundamentally shifted over the past few months. And as we adapt, it's becoming increasingly clear that this is not a temporary way of being. We're exploring how spaces have had to transform as a result of the coronavirus pandemic, how the prop tech industry is harnessing technology to innovate in the sector, and what the future of London spaces look like. Today, we're speaking with David Bloom, founding partner of the innovative family office investment house, Goldacre. Thank you so much for joining us today. Why don't we start with a couple of introductions? So if you could talk to us a little bit about who you are and what you do, that'd be great. My name is David Bloom. I'm founding uh, partner of Goldacre. I'm now part of the Noe Group. Um, and we really cover the, I suppose, the full gambit in that regard of the mandate in the sense of all the way over from commercial property, both offices, retail, you know, all forms of commercial um, through digital infrastructure. So we um, have investments in um, data centers, in um, power um, related technology, um, and then all the way across to our early stage work in, in what is coins as prop tech. And we, we uh, are very um, passionate about, about looking a bit deeper into it. So in terms of the smart buildings, smart cities, um, sustainability, looking at how we use space, how we interact with it, how we trade it. Um, and so, you know, for us, it's really been about building investments, but also expertise in each one of those verticals, because the fundamental thesis and belief is that those verticals are no longer silos, but in reality are interacting increasingly heavily with each other, defining how the outcomes on both sides and actually shaping uh, a different reality, which of course has been accelerated somewhat by uh, by the current uh, set of circumstances, but no doubt we'll talk about that. But the reality is, I, we don't believe that this wasn't the direction of travel anyway. Um, so um, I think that merely it's just highlighted some um, areas and, and, and been a catalyst in some regards. But I think that's probably a, a very high level introduction. And my role, I suppose, is to, to look across all those parts of the business um, and to work out how best to, of course, deploy our great team, but also to deploy the capital um, that we have both in terms of um, us and our partners. Um, and we look to make a variety of investments every year against this sort of thesis. Okay, great. Thank you for that introduction. And on kind of the current circumstance, how has um, the pandemic then impacted you and what's kind of perhaps been your biggest challenge? Well, you know, I started running. That was a real challenge. Um, <laughs> it's a lot harder than it looks on TV, I'm telling you. But uh, at a business level, you know, it's been impactful. Of course it has in terms of, well, we've almost had two sides of it because we do own a lot of retail assets um, and a lot of office assets. So, you know, in lockdown, those have been more challenging for the occupiers and so on and so forth. But then on the flip side, we are also invested in, very early stage businesses who are always directed at solving some of these issues. Um, so we have a accelerated program called Relab, and that is, uh, you know, this year's cohort of nine companies is is very much focused in on sustainability, uh, last mile logistics. I mean, just to you know, not to single anyone out, but companies like um, Strongarm that look at 
the, you know, keeping people safe in industrial environments, have suddenly found themselves in a, in a space where, where there's, there's dynamics of that safety that are completely different. But yet the technology is still very applicable. We have a, uh, a retail-focused technology business called Dropit um, that previously was all about hands-free shopping, um, and now hands-free shopping has suddenly become, you know, zero-contact shopping. Yeah, um, which uh, I suppose it's just a rebrand, but it's the same. In, in the, but in the sense of that, all of these uh, platforms, these SaaS delivery models, um, where where all the you know IoT offerings are, are suddenly being turned to by medium-sized and large corporates to say help us solve these challenges because what we all want and I think as a collective we is we want to be able to uh, you know bring people back into these spaces safely um, and effectively and yes of course there's a debate of well and what are we using them for going forward and how do they operate and interact but the first step really which you know well, let's not get ahead of ourselves the first step is, is to get people back safely and then we can work out some of the impact and implication of of the more macro trend. Sure. And again, throughout this period, have either you or any of your, your portfolio had to kind of pivot, adjust, adapt to weather this storm? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's funny because it depends on what you consider adaptation. So, you know, Drop It, for example, uh, have found themselves adapting because of the needs of their customers. So, retailers fulfillment from store has become a much more complex beast and also you know, simple things that maybe even I uh, wouldn't have touched upon before is that they suddenly found themselves with loads of stock sort of almost siloed in locations that, that, that were difficult to get to. So, so some of it is customer led, um, some of it absolutely is, is, is you know, the business led itself in terms of we have a, an investment in a a hyper-local air quality business is the best way to describe it in, in Haifa called Breezometer, which is all about uh, pollution and quality of air. Now, interestingly, now that pivot was more about, so of course, uh, climate change and climate uh, me- measurements have always you know, been a zeitgeist and, a, and, a, and an issue for quite a while. But then they found themselves during the pandemic sort of starting to look at, well, what was the implication of the various lockdowns on various areas so again it's like a it was a pivot in terms of data they were providing that what was otherwise not required um so that that was also interesting um and then if, if anything and you know it depends on what you define as a so so then there's been businesses it's not so much as been a pivot but has really accelerated more of the same so our data center business care data data center industry as a whole in fact has just seen a surge in usage um and therefore a surge in supply because obviously that these things take time to to build out so suddenly you are actually trying to meet the requirements of both current customers and potentially new customers um, in a much shorter time frame than you perhaps anticipated so it, it's been a really mixed bag but we're really lucky in the sense of we have the privilege in the main to work with some really quality founders our business owners, entrepreneurs. And so it's really been about, you know, making sure that they know that we're there for them and looking at and working it through with them, which, you know, in the vast majority of cases has been, uh, has been effective. Great. And I guess on a practical level, how have you gone about doing that? How have you gone about supporting yeah, your founders and entrepreneurs? So we, we quite swiftly launched a, a, a founders hour. So basically is myself and uh, 
the, the team made sure that we set aside. It sounds a simple thing, um, but actually it's the key starting point is making sure you've got weekly dialogue, really kind of opening it up to ev anything and everything. Now, of course, we also, through, uh, through the business, through Relab, we have a network of partners as well. So again, just getting the right people talking. And in some ways, bizarrely, in this environment, um, collaboration has had more challenges, but then simultaneously, actually, we found that a lot of people have been available uh, who otherwise may not have been. So, you know, we're, we're very strong on, on making sure that our businesses have good mentoring, have good um, opportunity to engage industry, uh, and that's carried on, um, obviously, virtually and online. Um, but, you know, that's really been sort of port, port number one. Number two, you know, very boring basic things, looking at looking at P&Ls, looking at balance sheets, making sure that uh, these businesses are making the right economic decisions to allow them to trade through this period um, on the investment that they have or if they require more investment, what will that be? Looking at government support. So a lot of it was very similar, but obviously each business has its own uniqueness. And so therefore you need to take the time to look at each one individually with the people who who, are, who know it best. So, Yeah, sure. By your points of, you know, the, the current uh, period accelerating trends in, in some cases, what do you think then the, the future of PropTech does look like given kind of the changes around our interaction with space and, um, yeah, the pandemic as a whole? I mean, without going down the rabbit hole of defining what PropTech is, um, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer by, by, by putting my definition or our, more our definition. So it, it, it's got to be meaningful technology that's actually enhancing or changing something so you know it's not about digitization i think often um tech is the word tech is used too liberally um you know uh me replacing a, my rolodex with uh on my desk with a phone with numbers in it is not is not phone tech that is just me digitizing my already existent database um so you know for us I think I see the accelerations coming in the adaptability of space. So I think that 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 and and and, and that can be at very in different sectors. The adaptability of space within an, in an industrial setting, the adaptability of space in an office setting, the adaptability of space, even frankly in certain residential settings. Uh, um, how do we? We've all, and there's for two reasons because I think that there's the there's the health and pandemic reasons which you know there's a lot of psychology behind that and how long will that stay with us and what long-term implications will it have um, um, but but that's not the only thing that's not the only thing that's come out of this I think there's also been a triggered by it but not connected to it this uh, realization that you know what is the art of the possible in terms of not being tied to a certain space um, or to a certain usage of that space. Now, I'm not, it would be very possibly more entertaining if I would be uh, one of these people that says, so therefore the office is dead and, and you know, retail is dead and everything's dead. Uh, long live us all staying in our homes and staring at our screens. Now, the reality never is that. We, we go from usually one extreme to another and then we find the equilibrium. This is, to me, it's a stolen phrase, but it's about that omnichannel experience. Yeah, is what are the tools for the job that I'm doing you know, now? Yeah, what does this require? And so, and so in, in a lot of things, of course, and also it's very easy for 
for me to sit here and say this because a work in a certain sector it has a certain sophistication to it yeah the reality is, is that's not true for the same of a physical job physically doing something you 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 can't do that over zoom yeah um so again it's horses for courses as to what is the task at hand what is the job requirement and then tailoring to that so what i see coming down the line is a is a is a real dialogue between you know businesses of all sizes of communities of all sizes looking at what is the best way to take what is good out of what we've learned through this experience and apply it you know through and yes and therefore through technology through prop tech because these are usually focused on um, when we engage in, in physical buildings, how we engage, how they are managed, what they give to us, what we give to them. Yeah. And so that has to be answered over a period of time and there'll be trial and error. And that's what early stage really is about as well, because you know, we've talked about pivoting and we've talked about, it's because these businesses are constantly looking at what is it I'm providing? Is it answering the question that I'm being asked? Which is also why we find it so valuable to help those businesses through the program to engage with um, industry, because it's not necessarily true what you've thought of over here is the key fears and concerns of that sector and the thing that they're trying to grapple with and resolve. Um, so, you know, so, so one, one bold prediction, I think the conference call is dead. Um, long live the video conference call, um, with the exception of my mother, obviously, who you know, has not even reached the mobile phone era yet. But the point is, is that there will things that will change, but I don't see us continuously uh, working from home. I think that we just are going to have to think about how not not go down this route of prescriptive work environments, but actually have an adaptive work environment that answers some of these questions. Yeah, definitely. And how then do you think we make spaces more flexible through technology? So some of it goes back down to the, like the basics of how we put the spaces together. We have a challenge in that the reason why, say, an office environment is the way it is is because it costs um, quite a lot of money to fit it out. Um, and once you've done that, you want to amortise that cost. You know, so technologists hate this type of thing, like, you know, P&Ls and amortisation and what the actual... But, but the reality is, is that business has spent money and it wants to get the value out of that money. Um, so I think that, that what I'm excited by in a lot of cases is those technologies that allow the space to be naturally more adaptive. And, and what's fascinating is that it can be anything from uh, being able to physically alter and change the space within the, the confines of the design that's been delivered. But it can also be anything from lighting to to furnishing. To have, so there's a lot of elements to it. But what you really want to create is a space that simultaneously, amazingly, allows for individual working when necessary, but also is really probably primarily targeted at collaboration because that's when you do need to bring the people together. For, for me to sit at home and work on a paper I'm writing um, actually doesn't necessarily have to happen in any given environment. And also people are different. I mean, big, big, bold, big, big announcement. People are different um, and they, they, they need different things. So, you know, I remember when I was at school, um, there were people who had to work in a very silent environment. Otherwise, they couldn't concentrate. But actually, bizarrely, my problem was I couldn't concentrate in a silent environment. 
I was far better off going somewhere with a bit of hustle and bustle that would almost tame my subconscious desire to just wander in my head. Yeah, and so that would, so, so everybody's different. So again, we do this with schooling. We do this with, with my sort of my school governor's hat on. We do this with work environments. We, and the very important thing, and also to save cost, we centralize a common offering to everybody. Now what technology should do and has done in many other sectors is allow you cost effectively to tailor that offering. And that is the holy grail because I completely understand a business can't, um, you know, it's one of those challenges, for example, things like um, online delivery, that, that you don't get the economies of scale of everybody showing up to collect their product, which is effectively a shop. But the point is, is it's a more tailored experience is what the shop struggles with. And so the same is technology, what technology is meant to do in the environments of physicality and the environments of work and, 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 and leisure is to give you as much of that tailored experience as possible, but in the most cost-effective way possible for the businesses, uh, so that, that the user gets what they want, but it doesn't have a detrimental effect on the business. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And, and we've obviously then spoken a, a fair bit about the office and, and the relationship there, the fact that the office is not dead, but how do you think then uh, that the relationship with the home has changed as well? And, and what are perhaps some of the, the changes or trends that you're predicting on the residential side of things? Oh, so, so firstly, um, we don't really have a tremendous amount of residential, uh, but the good news is I do live in a home. So I'm, also, I'm reasonably qualified, I feel, to comment on the subject. But you know, in all seriousness, I mean, you're already seeing, um, even now already, sort of developers starting to, who are putting up new houses, starting to, you know, change that box room um, into a home office. Uh, now, there's a lot of challenges that come with that as well. And I think that, you know, technology needs to help address them. Um, so the other side of this coin is, yes, do I think well, there will be more homeworking? Yes. Do I think that it's actually practical for everybody? No. Different people's home environments aren't necessarily as conducive to working as others, which is why these intermediate spaces, such as, you know, local uh, uh, work hubs, or, you know, what you want to call it. So again, we also, just to make sure we cover all the bases, that we, we do have an investment in the co-working business as well. So, you know, in that business tech space, you know, you see people, you know, I think we'll see more of the centralised hub and then localised spokes that, that allow people to go out of their home to do the work, but they aren't necessarily commuting an hour or an hour and a half every single day, which is, you know, a good saving. But one thing where the other side of, the technology coin is ensuring that um, that we again we've never always been very bad at this taking the, the the benefits of that technology but not also taking the detrimental parts so you know how the first few weeks of lockdown it was really interesting because um, everybody was working in our office remotely we moved remotely quite easily quite quickly um, had to buy a couple more laptops but ultimately everything was already set up teams were set up um, and it was about telling people that, you know, we had our Friday all uh, teams call and it was about telling people this is the end of the working week now. Yeah, I know you're not going to leave the environment that you now call work. Um, and in fact, you know, if you're in the position where you are in a room and it has a door, go out of that room, shut the door. Yeah, you know, even wear something different that you've not worn the rest of the week. Yeah? Now, these all sound like floaty, but the, these are the challenges of bringing work and family and 
at home and everything you do into sort of a melting pot and saying it's just time um, because time needs delineation space needs delineation um, there are positives in the sense of you save time um, and maybe you should use that time productively but we've always been very very bad I mean this is a classic example I mean this this thing has come full circle um, in that it was just so liberating like I can leave the office and I still know what's going on I don't feel that and then you hang on a minute I, I, I never leave the office. Uh, it's always here in my pocket. Um, and, and then you found the software companies like Apple, Microsoft, Android, releasing a set of tools that allowed you to limit. I mean, can you imagine a company saying, I want you to limit my product? Yeah, but actually it's because they worked out it's what the consumer wanted. Yeah, to actually say, no, at this point, between this point and this point, I don't want this device to do X, Y, and Z. I want it to do A, B, and C. Um, so, you know, again, we're going to go through this same learning curve. We're going to go through it in physical space, which is going to be crazy yeah, because it, it, it's so much more difficult to change back if you get it wrong. Yeah? Um, here, so they release a, you know, the move fast and break things does not apply uh, to, to, to renovations. Um, you've got to, well, you're kind of stuck with it once you've done it. So you know, I think actually, if anything, I would recommend people generally people go slow on this get get back into some form of normality and then ask yourself the question then look at the, the the problem collectively as a business but i think that probably uh you know big knee-jerk reactions like like cancelling your lease or building a subterranean basement for you to, to to live in with no human contact is probably jumping the gun but it's a fact it's going to be fascinating is is, is the headline yeah, and on some of those challenges then, and also on your point of perhaps around localised hubs as well, how do you think cities could work better together to, to collaborate in this space? Well, we've never cracked this nut, is the truth. Um, and, you know, you probably know far better than me in terms of at a, at a governmental level, at a, you know, sort of city level. We should have, and we've looked at it in various ways, transportation links, you know, it, HS2, if I can say those those words, uh, um, but purpose was right. The question they were asking and trying to answer was the right one. How do we make more of our wonderful country and make more of the great cities in it and make that interconnectivity better? Now, interestingly, maybe we've answered part of that question through this through this uh, um, exercise. Um, so you know, maybe we don't need to spend billions and billions and billions of HS on HS2. Maybe we should take a tenth of that money and really ramp up broadband connectivity, investment in town centres. Now, everybody also has been sort of wondering, well, quite a while now, again, these are not new problems created by, by the pandemic. These are systemic problems that we've been tackling probably for the past decade or so. You know, town centres, yeah, how do, what do we do? How do we regenerate them? Well, the answer is, is because we're sucking out most of the people every day and sending them somewhere else. Yeah, um, put, put very simply. So crazy idea. What if we worked out how to keep them there yeah, and let them work there in the main and then transported them to where they needed to go for the times that they needed to do that? So I'm not saying transportation, again, doesn't have a role to play. But actually, this is where you could see, you know, we're, we're supposed to be future gazing here. But the, you know, these brands around, you know, co-working, co-living, you can see them springing up actually more 
in outside of London in these other towns to support the, the, that 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 knowledge economy that actually can live there and contribute directly and and have a com and have a direct interaction. So. You know that to me is is where this could possibly go, um, and lead to regeneration. I mean, I always say to people, especially because on the property side of the business, because they know much more about property than I do. I'm an amateur um, in comparison. But the point is, is that there was a time when you know our our, our petrol station were probably um, where you took your horse to be watered. Yeah. Um, now we don't have any of those anymore. But guess what? We found another land use. Yeah, land and location and space always has a use. The question we've got to continually ask ourselves is, what is that use? And our job is almost one step further than that, is what is that use and is it valuable? That's what investment's about, right? Yeah. So actually, I see so much potential in probably some of the bleaker uh, spaces that we think are no longer fit for purpose. It's because we haven't got to the stage yet but maybe this is the time maybe this is the catalyst where we ask ourselves the question of you know the definition of insanity is just repeating the same activity and hoping for a different outcome yeah so opening another shop there that has no difference to the last one except it's owned by somebody else yeah is not going to change it but the right combination of last mile logistics i mean a little bit but the, the fact of the matter is is that actually micro fulfillment and all these good things are actually are the challenge for online retail can be solved in a physical way. The living opportunities, the working opportunities, the, the hubs to allow people to work, um, not at home, but from home. So, you know, that is about how do we, how do, how do cities, how do councils, how do the people in charge work with commercial side of the world to actually deliver something that is more forward thinking than just a of paint on an old, concept um but you never know might happen <laughs> great well thank you so much for your time and for your insights really okay. interesting